Hello and welcome to the Field Goals Podcast. I am your host, Brandon Schultz. And today we are going through the Seahawks 2022 draft class. And joining me to do it is EJ Snyder from Bootleg Football. You can also hear him on Bears Over Beers, part of Windy City Gridiron on the SB Nation Network. EJ, we did the offensive lead up to the draft. The Seahawks, they took some offensive players. You know, two of the first, well, three of the first four guys off the board were all guys that we talked about leading up to the draft. So that that fired me up. And I appreciate you coming <laughs> back on to to talk about these guys once again. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. It's always a good time. And lucky us, um, you know, sun even shines where it shouldn't sometimes. And, and we got lucky. Uh, it was a great series putting together the offensive preview for the Seahawks. And look, the Seahawks had a fantastic draft. It was, I don't know, I'll ask you, how was it watching a like, I'll, I'll call it a normal good Seahawks draft? It was it was a little bit weird because <laughs> there was no there was no trade back out of that first pick. They stayed put. Now, John Schneider did say that they had a couple of trades evaporate uh, one, a trade up potentially, which Ooh. I think may have been with Carolina uh, Thibodeau going uh, to number five. And yeah. I think if he would have slipped that maybe there was a trade up option there. And then when the first receiver came off the board, I, I think that the the Saints, considering they moved up to get a receiver, I think maybe they had that as a target uh, as a move up. But they stay put. They take Charles Cross, which it was a little bit surprising to me. One, because I know Jermaine Johnson was still on the board. He ended up falling mm-hmm. a little bit later in that first round. But I I was more anticipating pass rush at that point than I was offensive line. And a big part of that was just because Charles Cross being primarily a pass blocker, I I just kind of discounted that. And I didn't think that the Seahawks were going to take him. Yeah. Great player. Charles Cross, the uh, OT from Mississippi state. Uh, We'd talked about him. He was my third ranked tackle in this class, but in my top tier. So uh, right up with uh, Icky and Evan Neal. And yeah, more of the pass blocker, but also just a really ripped individual. Uh, if he gets with a good coach that teaches him to sink his hips and roll, it's not that he can't be a run blocker. He's not a great run blocker because, um, strangely enough, and this is the weird and circular way that the world of football works, right? His coach is one Mike Leach. Right. <laughs> who prefers the air raid and wants to throw it 60 times a game. So Charles Cross got a lot of pass block reps and not that many run blocking reps. It's not that as an athlete, he can't do it. He doesn't have a ton of experience doing it, Um, but he certainly can. And he's going to learn how, because he's in Seattle and they like to run the ball, but you know, potential franchise bookend left tackle uh, at nine. And really that again, He's the end of my first tier, and there's a drop-off after that. The next t- tackle was probably Bernard Ryman in my mind. He ended up going quite a bit later, uh, but you know I wouldn't have taken him before the late 20s. So really, the last guy off the boat, you get him. He's in the roster lineup now, and he could be there for a very long time. Talented guy. Well, and that's the exciting part, too. I mean, they've had Dwayne Brown, his career seemingly coming to an end in Seattle. I, I think we can maybe say... That it is at an end then with uh, with taking Kinda. cross at, uh, in the top 10. You, you don't see him needing a year or anything under behind Dwayne Brown. I don't think so. And, and that's largely because of where the Seahawks are, too. If you still had Russell Wilson and they had loaded up for a run and this was the, you know, 
make or break year and they had to sort of push all the money into the middle of the table, then maybe he needs a year. They're running Drew Locke. They're Let Drew Locke and defense. Gino just get get smushed back there with with both of the it's rookie not tackles. Smushed. <laughs> it's that you're generally there's a lot of change. I mean, and, and, uh, developing through their learning curve. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what you mean? Oh, that's fun. Um, so there's there's a different sort of pressure and expectation um, than there has been in years past in the Pacific Northwest. So Charles Cross comes into a situation where he can learn on the job. I think he will perform very well right off the bat. That is the kind of tackle he is. But all rookies coming to the NFL have a learning curve. And if and if his learning curve meant getting Russ smushed, uh, that might uh, negatively impact public opinion about his performance. Uh, whereas if he has some stumbles this year, there's going to be a lot of shift, uh, both on the offense and the defense. So I think that it'll sort of fit right in and build towards next year, which really, as we get through the rest of this class, we'll talk about that that really feels like what this was. I would have been more excited about defensive line, particularly pass rush. I know Jordan Davis was there at that number nine spot. I That's not really a super exciting type pick, though. A guy who's just, you know, is the center of your defensive line and it probably plays 10 years and and multi-time pro bowler. But it's just it's not like a a super fun. (laughs) Just that (laughs) it's just not like a super fun position, though. And I I kind of put flashy. I kind of put tackle offensive tackle in that same and offensive line just as a whole and into that same category. So I was I was more looking for a pass rusher. But in the second round, the Seahawks with their first pick. In the second round, they go with Boyamafe as their pass rusher. Yeah, I was going to say, you didn't have to wait long, right? No. <laughs> it wasn't like some other fan bases who were expecting a certain position in the first round and then had to wait three or four rounds or just didn't get it. So uh, they're still stewing about it. But no, Seahawks come right back, give you what you're looking for. And Boyamafe, the edge out of Minnesota, round two, pick eight, number 40 overall incredibly athletic edge rusher uh, out of Minnesota. And his bookend in Minnesota was also athletic, but more of a defensive end. Boy, Mafia, a true edge, can go forward, can go backward, has good bend, is really fast, powerful, needs to learn how to use his hands a little bit better. Um, but that's because he really hasn't needed to. He's been able to win with pure speed. He's been able to win with pure power on a bull rush, which doesn't require a lot of hand use. Um, he's going to have to find multiple ways to win in pros, but he has every tool. And coming to work with Clint Hurt is one of his better landing spots. Clint Hurt understands how to get the most out of defensive linemen, uh, whether it's in the middle or on the edge. Boy, Mafe has things to learn. He is not a bad player. I, I don't want to put that in people's minds. He is a very productive and athletic edge and can get better. Um, could be in a leading position on that defensive line really quickly. I know the Seahawks are excited about the two young guys they have on either side. Mafe is not going to come in and just go, oh, yeah, I'll just sit behind them for a year and learn. He's going to be trying to take their snaps, and that's what Seahawks fans should want. And he well might. He has the physical potential to do that. Now, with uh, with Cross, you said he was the third tackle on your list. Were there any edge defenders kind of beyond Ma- or ahead of Mafe that the Seahawks maybe overlooked, in your opinion? Well, you talked about Jermaine Johnson, and that would have been the pick Early on, he actually slid quite a bit farther than most people expected, ended up at 26 in the Jets trade back up to get him. Um, again, just for value, not because they really needed him. 
But in terms of pure pass rush, I would rather have Boye Mafe than Jermaine Johnson. In terms of an all-around player, I would take Johnson. He is one of the most vicious edge setters in this draft, which, again, is not really why you get edges up high, right? You're looking for pass rush production, pressures and hurries. And I'm not saying that Jermaine Johnson won't get there. He, too, is a incredibly gifted athlete. But right now, if I was looking for pure pass rush, I think Mafe is a better pass rusher than Jermaine Johnson, not necessarily a better player. So there were guys like that. And there were guys later on down that were available. So, um, you know, and the Seahawks took one of them too. And I'm excited to talk about him when we get down there. Well, I know another guy you might be excited to talk about is this next pick in round two, Ken Walker, the third running back out of Michigan state. And I, I would say that out of all the Seahawks picks, this one probably generated the most controversy, uh, especially out on Twitter, uh, among those that maybe think that round two, top of round two, a little too early to take a running back. The Seahawks get what might be the best running back in the class. He was my top rated running back in this class. Uh, again, he and Brees Hall were in my top tier. I think the most talented back in this class, and I don't think it's particularly close. Brees Hall is extremely talented, but I would take Kenneth Walker 10 times out of 10. Um, I understand the Seahawks fans' reservation about value and a position that's been devalued, and could you have gotten a running back that would contribute later? Absolutely, this back, this this entire draft class Contribute, contribute, but what if I want a star? What if I if want a star w- at running back, EJ? If you want a star, you just got one. That's like, great. That's it. That is that is the gig. Uh, Kenneth Walker is dynamic. He is productive, electric, can string moves together. My favorite thing about Kenneth Walker is that it's always his second move. His first move is good, and his second move just tears the door off, right? He'll set you up with the first move, whether it's a cut, stop move, jump cut, whatever, and then kind of move people around. And then he approaches that, okay, who's the next tackler? And then it's a spin. Then it's another vicious cut in the opposite direction. And that's when a seven-yard run turns into a 25-yard run all the time. Like if you're watching his highlights, it's that second move over and over and over again. It's it's just it's uh it's very enthralling as somebody that likes running back tape. He is a fun running back to watch. Now, some folks might say, hey, he's not gonna contribute in the passing game and modern. NFL running backs need to contribute in the passing game. Truth is he didn't contribute very much in the passing game at Michigan state. And it's not his fault. They just didn't throw the ball to him on the reps. And they are very few and far between. You have to sort through a lot of tape to find passing reps for Kenneth Walker on the reps where they threw him the ball. He's a very natural receiver and he did a lot with it. He got yards after the catch, which is what you want to see from anybody that catches the ball. Tight ends, wide receivers, running backs, doesn't matter. He is just as dynamic in the passing game as he is in the running game. They just didn't throw it to him very often. I imagine he might set a career high this year for receptions, and it wouldn't be hard to do, right? They could throw him two, three balls a game, and he would he would break his career reception mark for a single season. Um Great player. I understand folks that have reservation about value, but... And I think the reservation of value, EJ, is that every single quarterback except for Pickett, who went in the first round to the Steelers, they were all still there at 41. And I I have a feeling that people would have been happier taking a quarterback that's... I mean, what did the earliest one end up going in the third? They would have felt better about having one of those potential backup quarterbacks there at 41 than 
a potential superstar in Ken Walker. I Maybe understand not superstar, that. Star. We said star yep. earlier, right? I I believe that he has star potential. Absolutely. Like I I am unreserved in my opinion. There, he is. He has everything he needs to be to be a top. 15 back in the NFL. And that's, you know, considering every back rotation now is at least a two back rotation. You're talking about 64 backs. If you're a top 15 back out of 64 backs that get significant playing time in the NFL, you, you're a star. Um, so I understand the, the desire for quarterback. I think the Seahawks were not sold on the quarterbacks in this class. I think that's evident as you go through the rest of the picks and there were kind of the whole NFL though, right? Not just the Seahawks. Right. We didn't I mean, Davis see... Mills would have been QB2 in this draft. Maybe QB1 if we knew what we knew now. Right. Um, well, and, I, I mean, know, just even, in terms of draft position. Yeah, and maybe even last year. So uh, I understand folks wanting a quarterback kind of at all else, but I think kind of also start to have to take the Seahawks at their word. We might not want to believe that they're settled with Drew Locke, but they've been saying it. And look, that can be a smokescreen, but their actions through draft weekend, you know, besides the UDFA process, which Seattle famously loves to bring in quarterbacks and alternate means. And they did, they brought in two, they've got a UDFA quarterback and a camp invite quarterback who are interesting. You know, I don't think they're, um, week one starter material. That's for sure. But they are interesting, both of them, but well, while, we're, really while said, we're on the quarterbacks, I mean, uh, the, the Louisiana, he, he kind of looks, he kind of reminds me, he's like a lefty Kyler Murray that, that's Maybe, it yeah. right there. He is. He is. Uh, it's funny. Uh, so my podcast partner on, on bootleg football, Brett Coleman, um, I'm at Brett's house this weekend. We did the draft and uh, we've been using the um, analogy of, of different uh, retail establishments to talk about levels of players. Uh-huh. So if there was one player uh, and then there's another player who's like them, uh, if, if they were really close to them, we'd say that's like a, a Macy's version or a, you know, a, a Nordstrom version, uh, to be Northwest of that player. And if it was kind of a, uh, mostly, but not really, you know, maybe 75% of that player, it was like a target player. Uh-huh. And if it was like a player that sort of vaguely reminded us of that player, but really wasn't the same at all, it was like the gas station version of, of that player. And I would say that uh, Levi Lewis is like a target version of Kyler Murray. He, yeah. he moves very much the same. He's the same size. He is lefty. Um, he throws the same. You could tell he watches Kyler tape, right? Um, he has a very sort of baseball motion. He has that rear slide step that Kyler has. He's quick. He's obviously not as quick as Kyler Murray because almost no one on the He would have been drafted had, had he been as quick as Yeah, Kyler. exactly. But it, he, it is very hard not to watch his tape and think Kyler Murray. So the Seahawks, they do, they do get a quarterback and they, they invited one as well, but uh, moving on to round three. And this was kind of exciting because I don't think anybody expected Abe Lucas to be there for the Seahawks in round three. And so they have their opportunity to get the left tackle and Charles cross in round one, and then at right tackle and shoot, you know, if they would have taken him in the, with that Ken Walker spot, I think people probably, I don't think they would have been upset either. And so me, if you need it in your mind to flip flop the Walker and the Lucas pick just to make yourself feel better about draft position and value, then maybe we do that. Let's talk about Abe Lucas. Yeah, we do that all the time. Uh, like, Hey, if they picked that guy first, it would have felt better about it. So I'm just going to imagine that's what happened. But uh, I think if you had sort of run this draft or, or 
told people that in advance that this was going to happen, um, certainly at the end of last year's draft cycle or even sort of in the preseason before uh, this collegiate football season kicked off and you said, oh, I got Abe Lucas in the third round at pick eight, people would have said, what happened? Did he get hurt? Um, because they would have said, he's not going to be there. Like, I, And that was pretty consistent. He had a very good uh, second to last year at Wazoo. And then really, as lots of players have happened to them, they go through the draft cycle, people start to nitpick. And he fell a little bit from where he was regarded uh, a year ago. And that's to the Seahawks benefit because very rare that you can go through any draft and get two potential sort of long-term bookends at tackle, you know, right and left in the same draft. It just, if you look around the NFL, it doesn't happen very often. And if it does, it's some very happy accident of a, you know, fifth rounder who had an injury playing well. And, you know, suddenly they become one tackle for you, but picking two guys that clearly had, you know, really nice pedigrees and, and good collegiate careers, getting them in the same draft and much less, we need to talk about this, getting them in Seattle in the same draft, which just adds a little bit of weight to it. Seattle has not famously invested um, in the offensive line. Well, they, uh, they've, they've invested in it, just I, not, not successfully. successfully. <laughs> yes. I know that's we've had this conversation. I remember uh, they have spent picks, but they have, they've not got value. And, and there's no guarantee that either of these guys will work out. But again, they're taking the best shot they can get. Abraham Lucas, athletic, a lot of experience at right tackle, um, very good pass blocker, better than average run blocker. A lot of people don't think of him that way, but he had. Plenty Another of Mike Leach snaps. system guy, or gosh, did he even get coached yeah. by Leach before he went to, before he moved? A uh, yeah. little, little bit. Yeah. So, but since then, and some of those things carried over, but really at the end of last season with the coaching change in Wazoo, they, they had a lot of rushing attempts and, and you can see um, rushing, you know, rushing blocking reps from Lucas. And when, when he keeps his butt low and rolls his hips, gets his hands through contact, he, he can be a decent run blocker. Is he going to be a huge drive blocker that moves, you know, interior defensive tackles who weigh 325, five yards off the ball? No, no, that's not his game. Can he, you know, seal an angle and let a running back go behind him? He can. Um, my knock on Lucas is singular. And if he fixes it, and I think he can fix it, I would be much higher on him. Like I probably would have taken him in the first round, but Abe Lucas struggles with power. And he struggles with power on tape. He struggled with power at the senior bowl. He notably got rolled a couple of times. Um, and that made me go back to his tape and say, Hey, was this just a bad week in mobile or, or does he really, and he does really like anybody that brings any significant power right into his chest. He doesn't really anchor. He eventually ends up in the quarterback's lap. Um, he might slow him down, but he never really, when we say anchor, we mean stop and just not go any farther. Um, he doesn't do that. Now guys learn how to do that, right? That is a learnable skill. This is not a fatal flaw. And if Abraham Lucas gets with either a personal coach or the coaches at the Seahawks say, Hey man, we got to figure out, I mean, cause everybody knows, right? <laughs> he knows everybody knows. Um, and they say, we got to figure this out. This is your path to playing time. And they get him so he can find an anchor against power, against bull rush. There's not much else to clean up, right? His hand uses is good. Uh, his top half and his bottom half work together. He mirrors really well. He's got length. Um, 
you know, there's not a lot of other holes, but it's a, it's, it's a notable hole. Like there's a lot of guys that can rush with power in the NFL and you got to get that cleaned up. But if he does, you end up with two bookends that could be there, you know, through their second contract and really solidify that line for the foreseeable future. Talking to EJ Snyder of bootleg football going through the Seahawks 2022 draft class. We're through the first two days, getting into day three and starting out day three. Now, they they kind of avoided defense for the most part, apart from getting the edge with Mafe, but they go heavy on the defense with the next three picks, and they go at corner, starting with the guy that played opposite of Sauce Gardner at Cincinnati. They get Kobe Bryant, C-O-B-Y Kobe, but still, named after basketball player Kobe. Indeed. And Kobe's great. I think a lot of people, especially earlier in the draft cycle, would have would have again said, oh, Kobe Bryant in the fourth, dream on. It's not going to happen. Um, Wait really a second. Are, are the C- you're telling me that the Seahawks are getting value with their picks? Um, I think they got appropriate value at the end of the process. Uh, the reason that I'll Kobe take Bryant appropriate got- value, EJ, that's I'm not used to that. I know, and you got it top to bottom. I'm wondering, <laughs> I'm hoping you survived the weekend because as these picks started to play out, Brett and I were looking at each other and said, wait a minute, they're doing the right thing. Wait a minute, like, I've heard of these players. What is going on? And at the right slot, again, we talked about them swapping slots. That's something fans typically do, not teams, but the Seahawks have done it left and right. So it was a fascinating draft to watch unfold. Um, the reason that Kobe Bryant got picked apart in the draft process was because he got all the targets on the field. Nobody threw at Sauce. Sauce right. famously didn't give up a touchdown for the last two years, and he only gave up about 74 yards receiving this last season total. Wow. Total. Not one game total. So everybody threw at Kobe. In fact, there were coach quotes um, about how they tried to handle Sauce as an offense, and one coach said, no, we – we just put some slapdick receiver over there. We knew we weren't getting anything. So he just ran decoy routes. We didn't even try because we knew that if we threw it him, he was going to pick it off. So everybody threw at Kobe and he had, he had some games where he gave up a bunch uh, of completions athletically, uh, a little bit like Abe Lucas. It's there's a lot of good tape there. There's a lot of good technique. He has a couple of things to clean up if he does. And I think he can, you're getting a very serviceable corner at the top of the fourth round. And they go back-to-back corners. They get Tariq Woolen in the fifth, who I think based on athletic profile that maybe people had him going a little bit early. But if you're not willing to maybe take on a developmental-type prospect, then maybe that's the reason why he slid to the fifth. Is that how I'm reading this? Yeah, so he's new to corner. He is a uh, converted wide receiver. Uh, for folks, uh, Seattle fans that don't know Tariq Woolen, um, he's somebody I profiled on our defensive 10 gems on bootleg because of his athletic profile. This was well before the combine. We knew that once he got to the combine, everybody would know his name because Tariq Woolen is just about 6'4", just over 200 pounds, and runs a legit high 4'2", low 4'3". Like He can run with anybody on the planet. He's still figuring out how to be a corner because he's a converted wide receiver, but he has the right mentality, and that's really important to me. He is willing to be physical. This is not a track guy. He will come up and hit in the run game. He will support. He will be physical at the catch point with receivers. This is not a a dainty player that's fast, that uh, doesn't like contact. It's quite the opposite. Now, 
all that speed can take him in the wrong direction, just the same as it can take him in the right direction. So they're still uh, figuring out how to aim this amazing engine with, you know, updating his GPS, but he's continuing to learn that. And he's going to get some great coaching from Sean Desai, who is, What's Sean Desai's title in Seattle? I always say DC, but he's not the DC. No, he's like the he assistant is the defensive. associate head coach, I believe. Right, in charge of defense or something. like. He's helping Clint. They just wanted him, so they gave him a title. And Sean Desai is great. Came from Chicago, so I'm really familiar with him. But he, before he was their defensive coordinator, he was their defensive back coach for years. So he understands how to develop corners and safeties, and he's worked with both. And that's kind of the safety valve with Tariq is you're going to try and play this guy in corner. Because he's got the length. Uh, much of the national draft media said, "Was there ever a more Seahawky corner than Tariq Woolen?" And I think they're still living in the cover three days. But had that been the case, um, somebody said Brandon Browner with a jetpack strapped to him. When I see those little dump off passes to the running backs or the dudes out on the end on the edge, you know, to, whether mm-hmm. receivers, you know, the little screen pass over there, dude will come up and just hammer them. Yeah, he is not afraid, and so. A lot of times when you get converted wide receivers who go to corner, they don't have that. Wide receivers don't like to get hit, right? So they typically don't like hitting either. No limitation with Tariq. He will bring all that speed and considerable mass. He's about 200 pounds. Um, And when you get 200 pounds moving that quickly and it hits you, yeah, guys move out of the way. So Tariq Woolen is a fascinating player. And if you can't make him figure out corner, you turn that guy into a safety, you play him near the line, and again, he can run up and smash those screens. He can erase tight ends who aren't quite as nifty as some of those receivers he might have covered on the edge, but he's just as big as them um, and just as strong. They're certainly not any faster than him, and he's going to be physical with them. So he's, And they might do that anyways. They might play him if they're playing. Um, he gives you some flexibility because if you're playing a team and they're running a big slot receiver, right? They're running some guy that's six four and fast in the slot. Like, hey, we got a six four guy that's fast too. Go for it. You know, we'll we'll see if he can mash you at the line. And again, he's physical. So Tariq Warren, super fun player. Can't wait to see him develop. And honestly, him landing with Sean Desai is one of his best landing spots in the whole league. Well, they get another edge player in the fifth round, Tyreek Smith out of Ohio State, and another guy that I now this was another pick where I don't think you thought he was gonna last this late either, right? No, not at all. I was very high on Tyreek Smith. And again, this comes down to, you might say, okay, so why did he drop? Just like with Kobe. Um, This draft was chock full of edge rushers. There were 15 to 18 edge rushers on my board who I would take if I needed an edge rusher this year, not as developmental prospect, as, as people that could contribute at least in a rotation this year. That number is usually closer to half that, eight maybe 10 in a really good draft. There were like 18 guys in this draft. And it's partly because this was the largest draft in terms of number of players uh, in a very long time. That's because of the COVID bump and guys taking their super senior years and they all had to come out this year. So there's just more players and, you know, stands to reason more good players. Tyreek Smith comes from, I don't think there's a better pedigree institution in terms of turning out pass rushers than Ohio state, right? It's the Bosa brothers it's chase young. It's, you know, their interior pass rushers are good too. And Tyreek Smith is just another guy. Is he the physical equal of the Bosa brothers or chase young? No. Is he the technique equal? 
not quite, but he's got all the same techniques. He uses them. We saw them at the Senior Bowl. He was a late ad at the Senior Bowl, and he was beating all the top tackles in the country with this nice little double swipe move. Um, they call it the they call it the Bosa step. It's not the Bosa step. It's the coach from Ohio State that teaches everybody at Ohio State. But the Bosa brothers made it famous. It's this kind of like double hand swipe. Uh, and then you sort of Euro step your hips around him, and that gives you a clear path to the quarterback because the tackle's hands are down. He uses that just like they did. Is he the athlete? No, but he's a very good athlete. I was jumping out of my chair when this pick happened. Um, Tyreek Smith, just one of those guys in the stack of names that kind of got overlooked and lasted honestly probably two rounds later than he would have in a typical draft because people would be like, oh, who's the next edge? Oh, it's Tyreek Smith. I'm going to take it. But here, you're 14 edges down the list. You're 15 edges down the list. And you're like, who's there? Tyreek Smith is still there in the fifth. Are you kidding? Like, yeah, yeah he doesn't have any flags. He doesn't, uh, I no, mean, in terms of player. off the field stuff or no, he's, he's not quite as flashy as some of the top pass rushers like boy, Amafe. But if you told me you got boy, Amafe up high and Tyreek Smith as low as the Seahawks got him on a team that, you know, maybe didn't have edge rushers. We saw, you know, Arizona take two edge rushers too, because they're really sort of bereft of talent. They've got, you know, J.J. Watt there, but not much else because they've lost folks in free agency. They needed two edge rushers. The Seahawks have two young edge rushers, and they took two more. It's going to allow them to run them in waves, keep them fresh. It's going to be really exciting. I couldn't be more excited about going offensive line, defensive line, heavy in the draft, and then it uh, toward round seven, you're talking about getting your special teams guys anyway, but when they picked Bo Melton, and I, I tuned into the bootleg football live stream, and mm-hmm. if anybody hasn't watched that, go back and you get the reactions to all the picks throughout the days. It's it's really, really cool. You got to check it out. And your reaction to the Bo Melton pick for the Seahawks, you said that you liked him more than Dwayne Eskridge, who they picked in the second round last year. Yeah, I was not a huge Dwayne Eskridge fan. I don't hate him, but I thought second round was really early for Dwayne Eskridge for what he brings to the offense. I think he has... Um, I thought he had a more narrow range for success than a lot of other receivers in that draft. And the Seahawks again picked him early. And that was kind of more of a Seahawky move, right? In the draft, what we've been used to over the last nine to 10 years, which was sort of going off value and just saying, no, we know what we like and he's going to be good for us. I like Dwayne Eskridge, but it was really about the second round. I was like, oh man, really? It feels like you could have waited and got Dwayne Eskridge, and maybe they could have. Maybe taken Creed but, Humphrey instead, you know. Uh, yeah, well, as as a Bears fan that didn't take Creed Humphrey either, um, yeah, we can cry in our beers about that one. Uh, but Bo Melton is, I, there's something up with Bo Melton, and I don't know what it is. There's there's no good reason he should be available in the seventh round, Beaumont has a, a really nice physical profile in terms of how he's built. He is a quick twitch athlete. You see it on the field. He is legit four, three speed mid four threes was recruited by you name a top program in the country. He was recruited by Ohio state. Hmm. Think about that, right? At the time he was recruited, they had Jamison Williams, uh, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, Jackson Smith and Jigba came in after that. Like that's literally the best wide receiver room in the country. He got an offer to go to Ohio state and play wide receiver. He ended up going to Rutgers. Uh, I just found out tonight because both of his parents are Rutgers alums. So he's a legacy kid and they'd played sports there and he chose to go there. 
it wasn't the greatest decision for his football career. Rutgers was a mess. They had every possible mess on offense you can imagine. They didn't have great quarterback play. The offensive line was kind of a shambles. So he was still productive, I would say, despite that offense. But when he went to the combine, you could see quick twitch, right? Quick twitch off line that helps him to that time. Quick twitch when he makes turns, even when he catches the ball. It's incredibly quick, crisp. Um, super well-built, and he can get deep. So I think he's a more well-rounded wide receiver than Dwayne Eskridge, and I think he could take snaps from him. That's how physically talented he is. Why he slipped to the seventh round? Uh, Because even with the sort of production struggles at Rutgers, um, eh, something else is He was hanging out with Marion Terry from last year? I hope not. Hopefully not. Gosh. That that would be terrible, but uh, you know, if you'd pick Bo Melton in the fourth, I would have gone. Okay, cool, that's appropriate value. Fine, no problem. I wouldn't have liked it. Fifth, we, the fourth rounders for the Seahawks never work out, I, especially okay. especially at receiver. It just it doesn't. It doesn't I wasn't aware of the bias, but you know, in the fifth, it would have been a value. In the sixth, it's like, okay, what's going on? Why is he on the board? In the seventh, something was up. Maybe it was a medical red flag. We didn't hear about anything. He had a very clean profile. Definitely never heard about anything at school. He seems to be a, a, a young guy that is on the straight and narrow, was liked by coaches. Um, don't really know what happened there because just from his physical profile and his pedigree, I think he was a four-star. Um, you know, This is a guy that should have gone a lot earlier and is, is talented right now. Um, I believe that he could start as a third or fourth wide receiver. And, you know, people might be surprised on that just purely based on, hey, he's a seventh rounder. That's not possible. Again, a loaded draft class, more players at every position and something happened with him. I don't know what, but uh, very, very talented player. Love the selection, gives the receiver, uh, gives the Seahawks a lot of flexibility at receiver going forward. Well, in the next receiver, it sounds a little bit more of the opposite than more of a project with uh, Lenore Ryan wide receiver, Dariq Young. Yeah, he is the opposite. Uh, not the opposite physically, because he is uh, he is every bit what Bo Melton is physically, uh, and even more. He's about six two. He's almost two hundred and twenty pounds, and but also has having, speed. Yeah, having stood next to him up close, he is every bit of that. This guy is rocked up because he was at the Shrine Bowl. He was the Shrine Bowl, so I got to see him for four days up close. And the reason that everybody found uh, Derek Young at Lenore Ryan, which is not a school that rolls off the tongue for most folks, is that the Patriots' Kyle Duggar came from Lenore Ryan uh, a year ago. And everybody went to scout Kyle Duggar because he was a complete athletic freak. And I'm sure in practice, they looked across the line and said, wait a second, who's the guy that's 6'2", 220 and is just running, running the doors off the place? Oh, yeah, that's Derek Young. So everybody came back. Still learning as a receiver, not a polished receiver yet but again in the seventh round you take height weight and speed this guy could be a punt gunner for you tomorrow because he's got every bit of mass and he is fast like he is legit on field fast this is not track speed so has some things to figure out as a receiver and even if he doesn't even if you get a starting punt gunner or a practice squad wide receiver as a basically lottery pick in the middle of the seventh totally successful pick so overall as a class I, I kind of have a feeling of where you're going with this, EJ, but uh, success in terms of draft for the Seahawks. Your thoughts? No, I would say above success. This is really unparalleled. I can't think of a draft better for the Seahawks, top to bottom, the day after the draft. Now, given what we know about history and how people worked out and you know pedigrees and championships won and all that, 
like, yeah, there's probably some other better draft classes three years down the road. Just looking at this, they didn't miss. There's not one pick on here where it's like, oh, yeah, but boy, that feels like you went, you know, two rounds too early and you gave up on X, X, and X, or you avoided a position of need, whatever it may be. As you look down, it's really hard to argue any single pick. And if you want to get nitpicky about value for running back in the second round, go ahead, but kind of look elsewhere because you got the very best one in the draft. They didn't miss on like, I don't know, a potential starting center by picking someone where they did, or would you have taken Cam Jurgens over, over Walker? No, God, no. Okay. No, because I think Cam Jurgens could develop into one of the best zone blocking centers in this draft. Could develop are the keywords. He is crazy talented athletically. He still has some things to work on uh, until he reaches that. And his landing spot was fantastic in Philadelphia. He gets to sit behind Kelsey, who is a very similar physical player. Like, that's ideal for him. Kenneth Walker is one of the best running backs going right now. And, And typically, running back is one of the positions that, famously don't take a long time to adapt, right? We see good seasons out of rookie running backs immediately. We saw it with Javante Williams in Denver last year. He had a great rookie season right out of the box. Jonathan Taylor the year before. Yeah, it's not. it happens all the time at running back. It's one of the most translatable positions college to pro. So you're going to get to see Kenneth Walker highlights right off the crack in September and October. Um, Easily physically talented enough to hang in a league um, in terms of speed, cutting ability, strength, all that stuff. It's not like, oh, he's going to need a year in the pros to get whatever, bigger, faster. Mm. Nope. He can go right now. You hand him a football, um, he's going to get yards for you. So it's sort of a posh project at a position of need, and people can argue about need. They can say, we can add Penny, and I can say, great, what happens if he twists his knee in week one? Then, then what are you doing? Right. And there's not a lot of depth behind him because Carson's status is up in the air. He might never be back. Um, I know. I, I heard a lot of people saying that it was a luxury pick and not a pick for need. And yeah, I, I kind of push back on that because Penny was only healthy, what, the last five or six games last season. And it took him his entire rookie contract to, to get to that point to be able to show what he could do, what, of maybe what we expected him to be able to do when they first drafted him. Yeah, and again, my pushback because the penny thing is fascinating. I I love the story. Uh, you know, it's hard luck for basically his entire rookie contract, and then right at the end, he has this six game stretch at the end of last year, which is not just like oh, okay, good story, got on the field, got a few yards, yeah, okay, neat, but you're moving on because you know we we spent a first round pick on you, and this is all you produce. No, uh, uh-uh. he goes on a like league wide tear. Right, He hits this white-hot stretch where, honestly, if he'd continued that for his entire season, which is the thing, that's the kicker, he would have been like a top three running back in the entire league. Yeah. So he gets – and then what do you do with that guy? Because he basically hasn't been on the field his entire – and then he hits it, and oh, my God, he looks amazing. And everybody's like, oh, we got to re-sign him. And you're just like, oh, do we? Yeah, we did that with Sean um, Alexander, and then he got hurt. Yeah. You know. <laughs> So the idea that it's a luxury pick, it mu- only if you believe Penny's going to stay healthy, and I would say history sort of cautions you against that, or if you roll the clock back 12 months to 2023, then what? Right? Then what do you have? You have Penny coming off a one-year deal, 
Carson's almost certainly not with the team one way or another by then you pretty much have an empty room, right? And instead you've got a Kenneth Walker with one year of starting experience in the pros who is, uh, unless something ridiculous happens is easily your starting running back. Like, and you run him really hard for his entire rookie contract, which, you know, he got picked in round two. So you don't have that fifth year of control, but you run him hard for the four years. If he is amazing, you franchise him, you get that fifth year and you let him go. You don't give him a second contract because you don't give running back second contracts. You just pick another one. But for that five years, he might be one of the top half running backs in the league. So luxury, my question is, what are you going to do without him? And it would be a running back by committee that you could have picked up later and, and stacking UDFAs. The, the Seahawks have gone that route. And that's worked um, out great in Seattle, EJ. So well. well so, I mean, Chris Carson, oh, yeah, you right? You get Chris Carson for a little bit. You get uh, Thomas Rawls for a little bit. You know, Thomas you get these Rawls, guys right. that work for a, a little while. I think Mike Davis had, you know, a, a nice Davis little stretch. Had a little flare. Yep. So, I mean, they've found a way to patch it together. This is the opposite. This is we're going to spend a high pick and we're just not going to worry about it because the guy's awesome. And we're just going to, you know, wind him up and watch him run. Linebacker would have been the other position that I think that Seahawks fans said, well, you know, Cody Barton, can you upgrade there? Yeah, maybe you can. And the second round, I think maybe toward the end of the second round, there were some linebackers still on the board. The Georgia linebacker. Holy smokes. That that i don't know i don't know we had many discussions about channing tyndall you're talking about channing tyndall or are you talking about nakobe well both of them yeah yeah nakobe turned out to be an injury that right. was sort it of undisclosed didn't. they said strained at his pro day they said he strained a pack it turned out that it was greater than a strain there was a question about whether or not it needed to be repaired um anyway so that was that was the nakobe thing that explains the nakobe fall the channing tyndall slide I don't get you're talking about a guy that has fantastic tape for the national champions, did everything, led that team in sacks, by the way, um, tested out of his mind at the combine, ran a four, three, something has tremendous linebacker instincts. This is not a guy that you have to kind of teach the position to. I don't get that one at all. And he ended up going to the dolphins. Uh, yeah, he did end up going to Miami. Um, I think they're going to love him there. He is EJ Snyder of Bootleg Football. EJ, really appreciate you coming on, breaking down the Seahawks draft. What do you got planned coming up here? And now that the draft is passed, I know, I know, like a significant break would be good. But uh, what else you got uh, for Bootleg Football coming up? Oh, you're reading my mind. I would love to sleep for like two weeks. It's not going to happen. Uh, we already cut a podcast for our favorite three draft classes. That's going to come out this week. Uh, we'll have a UDFA podcast. Uh, episode dropping next week. Then we'll probably get our break. And then we're really going to launch into our off-season uh, content, which is breaking down every team, every pick, every addition, every coaching change. It's our divisional preview series that we run over the summer in the off-season. A lot of people have come to rely on for everything from fantasy football to getting to know the rest of their division to just learning more about their hometown team. So we'll crank that up uh, a couple of weeks from now and run that pretty much through the rest of the summer and then right back into the season. Favorite three, any teasers? Or, or you just got to tune in to find out? Uh, I didn't have to crib a lot for the Seahawks class. All right. I, I'm going to tune in. I'm going to check it out. Bootleg football. Everybody subscribe to that show. Tune in. You can find it out on YouTube as well. And EJ, always want to thank you for coming on and uh, offering your expertise uh, with this draft class. 
Anytime. It's always fun. And as a guy that lives in the Pacific Northwest, I can't wait to see a lot of these guys on the field. Um, probably going to go to a couple of games this year for, for different reasons. And I, you know, I can't wait to see Charles cross blocking for Kenneth Walker. Like that's going to be super fun. We're going to do it. We're going to go to a game. So stay tuned for that. When, when we announce whatever, whenever we're at, well, look ahead to the schedule here coming up in uh, not too long. So yeah, we'll we'll be able to start making plans for that. We'll have it all for you up at fieldgoals.com. I will be back here talking more Seahawks and breaking down this draft class even more. And until then go Hawks.